The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. It's Friday, May 27th. We are heading into Memorial Day weekend, uh, and I am appreciative and will remember uh, all of the veterans that fought and died protecting this great country. On the show today, my good friend Nick Ashew will join me here in a moment, and we will discuss a lot of things here in this opening segment. And then... Emily Giambalvo from the Washington Post. Emily is covering the final four lacrosse championships for both the women and the men. Maryland is uh, a participant both in the men's and women's final four. And the Maryland men's team is one of the all-time heavy favorites to win the whole thing. They're considered one of the greatest lacrosse teams in history. They're 15-0. Emily will join us uh, later on in the show. With me to start the show is my friend and the very talented Nick Ashew. Nick does it all. He's a TV guy. He's a radio guy. It's hard to keep track with where Nick is these days. So Nick, I will let you tell everybody where they can find you these days. That's the beauty, the beauty of the Odyssey umbrella. I can just be a part of like five different things. So yeah, I'm with Odyssey as a whole and then BetQL so I host shows for BetQL. I'm a writer for them, and then uh, CBS Sports Radio. So Saturdays, you can catch me 10 to noon on BetQL and CBS Sports Radio, and then I have a show, solo show uh, noon to 2 on CBS Sports Radio, and then, of course, uh, some of the local stuff that I'll do there and the writing, and then I jump on pretty much every betting show on BetQL throughout the week. You better you bet, all those things in the afternoon. I pretty much have become like the extra host on everything. They gave me a, they gave me a role where they said, would you like to do everything for us? And I said, sure, why not? I'll go ahead and do that. Because as you know, Kevin, uh, sports betting is a huge part of our industry moving forward. And I wanted to get in early as opposed to wait five years and then go, I wish I started doing this earlier. You know, I'm going to make an admission right here, and it's not because Nick's on with me right now, but um, in the past, various conversations that I've had with program directors, I'm talking about more in the recent past, last few years, um, you know, p- names have been tossed about, about, you know, would you want to do a show with this person or that person? And not that I don't love everybody, but I have a sense, and everybody in this business has a certain sense of 
who you would enjoy working with and who you might have some chemistry with. And I've always mentioned Nick as a possibility, and I don't think I'm the only one. Nick really was, and it, well, Nick is talented, but it was obvious early on when Nick um, joined the station many years ago. So I'm happy to have you here because I don't think you've been on the podcast in a while. I did want to mention real quickly, as we are beginning uh, to record the podcast for today. It's an exciting day out there. Uh, my phone has beeped three times with tornado <laughs> warnings in the last 10 minutes. And I'm watching Doug Cameron, who I love on Channel 4, with the other guy, uh, Chuck Bell. Um, and, uh, you know, everybody's live right now. So you all now know, if you're following the weather t- today, that we are doing this podcast. We're recording it at roughly 12 noon. Um, I, I, it doesn't look like there's going to be a serious tornado warning, but this kind of weather is always exciting. You live in Annapolis. Uh, you'll be probably getting it a little while after us, I think. Yeah, we've been under a warning till like two o'clock. You know, I was never really into weather until I started working with you back in the day. And then you got me into snowstorms and I started learning about hurricanes. And I'm like, I see why Sheehan likes this. It is really interesting, but nobody loves weather more than you in big storms. Like everybody has their vices. A lot of people, it's like porn or something. This isn't. This replaces porn for you. It's actually just like looking at looking at the radar, looking at the Euro and the Nam and all of those things. Yeah. I don't even know anything about them, but that is absolutely you, one hundred percent. So anytime I see a storm now, I'm like, man, somewhere Kevin Sheehan is just smiling. Well, my favorite genre, if we're if we're talking in these terms, would definitely be snowstorms. Um, yes, I, it is. I, I don't I don't know that tornado warnings would really do it for me. Um, it, I mean, it would all depend on who's starring in the tornado warning um, episodes. But yeah, uh, my favorite genre would be um, winter storms. So. Yeah, and listen, you need a little bit of production value in these storms as well if it's going to be entertaining on top of that. But most importantly, you know, you want some some excitement, good lighting, it's well-produced, and, you know, you may like some of those tornado versions, but we know what your vice really is. We know what your genre really goes down to. It's the the mainstream snowstorm with you. None of that weird, dark, dark web kind of stuff. Yeah, and (laughs) and, and to be honest with you, if it were, like, the difference between, like, high-def or classic, um, film, I would probably go with high def. I just think, you know, it's it, from, it, it's, it's an issue with my eyes. I think these days, it's just a little bit more clear. Um, by the way, you know, on the gambling thing, because you know, one of my vices has always been gambling. Tommy and I have talked a lot about this. I've talked about it with Cooley on the podcast as well. And look, you know, you are doing gambling shows. There are gambling sponsors on every single show that I do. My bookie has been a wonderful, uh, you know, sports uh, book uh, partner for this podcast, you know, going on three and a half years now. And by the way, uh, go to mybookie.ag or mybookie.com if you want to bet the NBA playoffs. Use my bonus code, Kevin S. Uh, actually, it's Kevin DC. I, I just got that mixed up with my other bonus code. <laughs> From radio. You should probably know this by now. Come on. Yeah. Um, uh, no, use uh, my bonus code, Kevin DC, and they'll match your first deposit dollar for dollar all the way up to a thousand bucks. But I've said this to Tommy before. Um, and I and I mean this with with the utmost of respect to sponsors because it'll sound hypocritical. And to you, I, I understand the explosion of sports betting, but for me, someone who's been doing it my entire life, 
I've actually gotten to the point, and I know I'm very much in the minority here, it's starting to get boring for me. <laughs> I well, swear again, on it's my... Another, it's another... I, 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 I'm, I'm shocked that you say that, but I also get it in the sense because what it was was you felt like you were a part of something secret before. Now everybody's involved, and now it's become mainstream. So you were kind of like the, the sports betting hipster where nobody, oh, I'm into this because no one else is talking about it. And now that it's become mainstream, you're like, yeah, I don't like it anymore. It's not, it's not as cool because now everybody likes it now. I see what it is. You just have to find something new. I don't know what it is yet, but you're going to have to figure out what the next trend is and then just be on that before everybody else. That's really a big part of it. You nailed it. And Tommy said the same thing when I mentioned this to him a while ago. Now, let me just be clear. When we get to football season, I'll have the bug and I'll have the itch again. And, you know, yeah. before the week one college football lines come out Labor Day weekend, I'll be I'll be looking for, you know, the, the trap bets and the contrarian sides and the whole thing. And football season, I think, is different. But I swear to you, I have not placed one wager on any NBA playoff game. My last wager was Final Four Saturday. And I think I think wow. you, I think you've nailed it, you know, um looking for something else. I know that during the pandemic a lot of people got to the point where they actually tired of pornography. Like they got to the point where <laughs> I can't find anything new that works. Because and I and that I and I, of course I wouldn't know because that's not my vice of course. Of course but, not. No. Um, but, no, no, it's only watching winter storms <laughs> with you. That's it. That's all we're focused on. That was a conversation that came up on one golf day with a bunch of friends, I don't know, maybe a year ago and they're like is, is somebody just out of the blue, you know, somebody's getting ready to hit a tee shot and somebody just said out of the blue, has anybody else just gotten sick of porn? You know, and this was, you know, at the height of the pandemic. I thought it was funny. Um, So so this week, here's this week in a nutshell. The owners were counting the votes on Snyder at the league meetings in Atlanta, according to Jared Bell. The team's hopes of a stadium option in Virginia – might be fading with state senators in the Commonwealth bailing on the bill, saying things like the team doesn't have enough fans. And then last night, the team's defensive coordinator, Jack Del Rio, uh, probably got into, as Robert California once did, some Australian reds and Colombian whites. In celebration of the finalization of my divorce, I got into a case of Australian reds and how should I say this? Colombian whites. <laughs> and he appeared to have drunk tweeted for about an hour and a half last night. You did follow that, right? I did see some of it, yeah. And it just continues to be like, he's, he's a liability on Twitter, man. It's continued, and it's only going to get worse. This team does not need any more image issues. It's always going to have a problem until the owner's gone. And clearly, Kevin, uh, nobody's going to get rid of this guy. My theory has always been the reason why Dan Snyder is still there is because all the other owners look around. You know, like when you're – you're in the, you're dating someone and maybe, uh, you know, she's got a sister or two and they're all, they've all got boyfriends too. And you look around and it's kind of a comparison of like, who's got the favorite, who's dating the favorite boyfriend right now? Well, as long as one of the other sisters is dating somebody that's viewed as worse than you or a complete idiot or a screw up or whatever the case is, you always look better. So the owners are looking around going, you know, as long as Danny boy's around here, we all look better. So we need to keep him around. So then all the attention is on him and not on us instead. It's, 
it's just every, this team can't get out of its own way, and it's gotten to the point now where you know you're talking about like. Virginia politicians saying they're going to vote no for a stadium. They may be playing in FedEx Field in 2028 whenever that lease is supposed to be done because they have no other home at that point. It's absolutely embarrassing that this team continues to trip over itself time and time again. I mean, I agree with you, of course. Um, but let's get back to Del Rio because, you know, he appears to be right now uh, the boyfriend that doesn't look that bad um, compared to there the others. Um, for those that missed it, and I'm going to be completely honest with you, last night uh, CJ, um, he sends me this tweet that came from some troll on Twitter named G. He tweeted out, I blame Riverboat Ron, Ron Rivera, and Coach Del Rio, and of course the snake, Jason Wright, for all of this pain drama, meaning the Duran Payne uh, drama, which I'm not even sure what that means. I mean, Ben Standick tweeted out something earlier in the week that Duran and others got upset with, but as it turns out, was probably true. Um, Duran Payne, by the way, happy birthday to you. He's 25 years old. And then G on Twitter says, we draft a stud back in 2018, and you all have been playing games the last two seasons. Karma gonna bite when he goes within the division, hashtag HTTR. So this gets it's tweeted out to Ron Rivera, to Del Rio, to Jason Wright. By the way, Jason Wright has nothing to do with the Duran Payne drama. He handles the business side right. of the organization. Um, and Del Rio last night into the Australian Reds and the Colombian Whites must have been like searching <laughs> his name on Twitter. And he finds this and he retweets it and he writes, Bite D's. <laughs> now, let me just tell you, Aaron, oh, actually, it wasn't CJ who sent this to me. It was Aaron. Aaron sent this to me. And so I immediately tweeted back to Aaron, bite D's? Question mark, question mark. I didn't know what it meant. And, of course, Aaron explained oh, it to me what it meant. I mean, come on. I mean, am I supposed to know at my age what bite D's is? Now, when he said it, I kind of said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 knew, I knew what that was. But for those that don't know, he's basically saying bite my, you know, nuts, which we can say on a podcast. Yeah. Um, That's true. You can say whatever the hell you want. Right. <laughs> so, I mean – uh, Brendan told me I wasn't allowed to say nuts this morning on radio. I think he's actually wrong about what? that. I think you could be talking about almonds. You could be talking about peanuts. There's all kinds of different snacks that you could be talking about, Kevin. That's what I thought. Um, but anyway, Aaron quickly explained it to me. So here's the question. Did you th- did, do you think this is funny? Do you think this is beneath him? Do you think this is now the boyfriend that's starting to not look as good as the worst boyfriend of the sister group? Like, what, what, what's your reaction to Del Rio retweeting some guy trying to troll him who had, I think at the time, like 10 followers when he tweeted this out? Now he's got like 300. Um, what do you, what's your reaction to it? Well, first thing, once you start retweeting somebody like that, you give them the attention and exactly what they wanted. Second, never search your name on Twitter or on Google because it's just going to piss you off. Because especially with what we do, Kevin, there's always somebody that's mad about something stupid. 
and makes it a bigger deal than what it is. This, to me, is funny, because that's, that's hilarious to see a coach say something like that to some random dude. He's had other things that are certainly far more uh, controversial, especially once he starts getting into politics, right. because as we know, that's a very, uh, you know, that, that's a touchy subject, no matter what the issue is in politics. It, but this, this is tame compared to what it is. I, personally, I think it's funny. There's, there's something, there's something very human about, whether it's businesses or it's you know teams as in like organizations or somebody that's at a in a high level or of you know in a, in a spotlight in some capacity responding and actually seeing human on social media now i get it there's limits to that right like don't start saying something that's like real not like oh everybody's offended by something but something legitimately offensive something racist something stupid don't ever go down that road obviously that should be condemned but something like this this is just what normal people would do on Twitter, right? This is what a majority of Twitter is. Like, we may not respond to somebody like that on a regular basis, but there's, this is all that's going on on Twitter on a regular basis. Twitter is an angry place. Twitter is basically a cesspool for the most part. And occasionally you just want to clap back at somebody when they're driving you nuts. And this is kind of funny to see a coach do something like this. So it's, it's like on the lower level of the tweets, that we've had from him where he's been a little more of a controversial lightning rod in the past, but I'll take this. And honestly, if there's more of it, it's fine. Uh, but again, it's, it's a lot different when it continues to be like somebody out of this organization in any uh, you know, high level defensive coordinator. That's still a very high level position with this team, a very important position. And they just, they just don't need more of this type of attention on them at all. But I will still take Jack Del Rio, and maybe you at some point, Kevin, just telling someone to bite these because I think it's really funny to see it happen. I've already made a note to myself that I might actually do that um, <laughs> over the weekend. You know, I actually think it's funny, too. After, uh, by the way, after it was explained to me what it meant, I thought it was pretty funny. And then, and then I started to think about it, and I'm like, okay, I could be the guy that says, ah, you know what, it's really funny, and maybe he's just trolling us to try to get a reaction. And then I thought, you know what, though, seriously, I mean, this team, this franchise, I don't know what it is about that building that when you get inside it, you immediately kind of um, head towards the lowest common denominator. And, you know, he is the defensive coordinator. He's a grown man. And by the way, uh, he led a defense last year that was just god-awful. I mean, 31st ranked on third down, 27th DVOA, 29th, whatever it was. I mean, it was one of the worst defenses in the NFL. And he's already kind of, you know, given some excuses here over the last week. The big excuse being, well, I didn't have some of my veteran secondary members show up for phase two of the (laughs) offseason last year. I mean, he didn't have his number one defensive end show up for anything in the offseason. Didn't mention him. Um, I just think at the end of the day, these guys need to shut up and just win. And if he's having fun, if he's a little bit buzzed last night, seriously, and it's probably true, 
Um, I don't know if it's probably true. I'm guessing um, that, you know, this guy's a grown... I mean, this guy barely even talks during press conferences during the course of the season and seems to be upset every time Ron Rivera reveals too much in his press conferences. And so if he just got on his phone last night and started reading stuff and, you know, and was trying to be funny, you know, it's not going to hurt anybody. But these are the kinds of things that have always come back and bitten everybody in the organization in their back sides because they start, you know, kind of lowering themselves and promising things and being sensitive and overly sensitive and then continuing never to back it up, to, to, to just suck. You know, he retweeted somebody a few weeks ago who said CBSSports.com has raised Washington's power ranking from, you know, all the way up to number 13 in the league or 12 in the league. And he's like, somebody's smart. Hey, Jack, I mean, this is like, you know, this is what people do. Power rankings? You're retweeting power rankings? You know, it's like, stop. But here's the best thing that Del Rio did last night. You did see what he, who he congratulated on getting a job last night, right? I think I actually missed that. Who did he congratulate? Okay, so in the process of being very active on Twitter last night, he retweeted the Washington Wizards' official Twitter account from a July 17th, 2021 tweet, which officially named Wes Unseld Jr. the 25th head coach in franchise history. He retweeted that and wrote, Congrats, Wes, wishing you the best. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I see it now. I'm now searching his name. By the way, on Twitter, he may not want to do it, but it's great for us. This is yeah. Look, I think maybe we've all uh, been watching a game on a Sunday, had a couple of beers, and maybe firing off a, a slightly buzzed tweet before you. You think a little yeah. clearer sometimes. You have different ideas, uh, but you got to be careful. And maybe you should at least bare minimum. And I don't know how that even. Like I'm trying to think of what was going through his head or how he found that tweet to then think that it was new. Like, I don't know. I mean, it's maybe those Colombian Reds that made him kind of lose track of what year it was, and it made it a little bit more. <laughs> or the Whites, I'm sorry. The Colombian Whites. The Robert California reference, by the way. It's been a while since I've heard that name. One of the underrated characters on The Office. Uh, I you and I are on the weird, same page. But he's a, lot, a lot of people hated James Spader in that role. I thought he was brilliant, but go ahead. I hated Will Ferrell's character was far worse. I terrible. hated it, and I wanted him to go away so bad. It was terrible. But Robert California's way better. But anyway, yeah, this is uh, – look, it's very clear he was not in the right state of mind. I think that's at least the assumption we can make. And I, I, don't, I just don't know, like, what, what would go through his head to where he could, like, was he searching? Was he Googling the Wizards? Or was he looking up Wes Unsell? Like, that's a really old tweet. You don't <laughs> see old tweets unless somehow you're searching them very actively. Like, did he go down some weird, like, you know, you went on a YouTube rabbit hole. Did he go down some Twitter rabbit hole where he searched his name and then it was talking about the Washington Commanders and then somehow Washington Wizards came up and then that was retweeted a lot originally so it popped up as an old tweet in the mentions. I don't know. I'm trying to justify what he would have done, but it's kind of funny because nobody's getting hurt by it, so it just makes the whole thing hilarious. It also kind of makes me want to hang out with him and just have a few beers and just see what he says. Like, just see what he does. Like, does he start searching himself consistently on the internet? Does he start seeing what people are saying about him? What are what are his feelings on things in life? Some of them may be like talking to your old grandpa that maybe says things a little offensive. You're like, whoa, okay, times have changed. I don't know, but he is... 
he's something else on Twitter. And that's the fact that he found that old tweet. Like, unless it was a joke, like maybe he thought it was a funny, yes. sarcastic. I, that's what I'm thinking. No, I mean, that would give like, him a what, lot of... What would, what would be the joke? Well, because, I don't know what the joke would okay, really be. Okay, here it is. Here it is. He's sitting around and going, all right, I got him with the bite Ds. Look at the responses. Now let me just find something that makes me look just completely out of touch. And and And, <laughs> and he's like, watch the reaction I get. Now... That may be giving him too much credit for being kind of clever and and subtly funny. If if that was the case, I mean, props to him. I have a feeling that the possibility exists, and I don't know Jack Del Rio, the possibility exists that you might sit down and have those beers and within 10 minutes be bored um, and, and, and want, want to move on to the next person. I don't know that for sure. <laughs> you know, the funny thing about Del Rio is, let's face it, the fan base, or whatever's left of it, is definitely majority get him out. He sucks. Like, and I, oh, and, that's all last year was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So if he's trying to be funny and he's trying to, or, or, or he's being overly sensitive, or the stuff about the secondary players missing phase two was somehow a way, I don't know. But the bottom line is he's now in a position, and I don't know if it's the same as Ron Rivera. I wonder what Ron thinks of all of this, if he was shown this last night. Um, but, uh, and I wonder if he wasn't doing it on purpose, if somebody, because he's not fixed that tweet or deleted that tweet, which, by the way, I give him credit for. If he totally thought that it had just happened, that Wes Unsell Jr. had just been hired, you don't want to delete that. I mean, make yourself, you know, human, as if, you know, you're so dialed in on your job, you have nothing, you, you no idea what's going on elsewhere, but... Funny from him. Now, see, that's the big response right there. That would have been like, oh, guys, sorry, I only pay attention to us. I'm watching so much film. I had no <laughs> idea. I don't pay attention to the Wizards at all. That's kind of a big omission considering he's the head coach, and you might know at least something because we know these teams pay attention to, like, at least a little bit of what's going on. The Wizards and the Nationals and Caps all kind of know at least some semblance of what's going on people within those organizations. But, yeah, this is just – look, man, he's if – if the defense was – successful last year with all the hype. And by the way, you talk about searching your name and then really buying into the hype with the power rankings and all that. That's exactly what the biggest problem for this defense was last year. They got really into their own hype and then they didn't live up to it at all. And then they got real butthurt after everybody was complaining about how poorly they were. I mean, you obviously knew the Jack Del Rio venom because you hosted your show every day. I was just doing the post-game shows on the fan and people were calling in wanting him fired by like week two. And it's, I mean, if you're winning, you can get away with this kind of stuff more, but you can't get away with it if your defense is one of the worst in the NFL and then you're firing off tweets that are a are, are year old and people are wondering what headspace you're in right there. It's just like I always compare to this type of situation to like back in the day when Johnny Manziel was still the Browns' uh, quarterback and you had the peak of like Gronk partying, right? When Rob Gronkowski was always seen on TMZ, he's out partying. But he could get away with it, one, because he wasn't a quarterback. There isn't the same responsibility that a franchise quarterback is supposed to have as a leader and how they present themselves, how they carry themselves. But also, Gronk was a winner. Gronk was a hard worker. He was a great teammate and always brought it every Sunday and every practice. And he was able to kind of be, hey, fun Gronk that goes out and parties a little bit and spikes roses and makes it a big deal. Oh, (laughs) Gronk's so funny. But, like, 
Johnny Manziel is doing the same stuff. He's partying in Vegas, and people are like, this loser can't even do anything on the field, and he's going out and he's partying in Vegas, clearly doesn't take anything seriously, which we know now is obviously the case. But, you know, you're, you can get away with a lot more if you're successful at your job. It's really just that simple. Yeah, and I I just, like, I'm going to read you this tweet because I had this um, saved for uh, either with you or, or in the next segment, but this dude Victor tweeted me, right, and I saw it right before the uh, the show, um, Kevin, the local media just keeps punching down on this team so much. They just can't focus on getting better as a football team because they're dealing with the media stuff and crap all the time. Uh, be positive. Do better. They need us. The media negativity oh, is just beyond God. the pale. And, you know, I, I, we all get this a lot. And, I, you know, it's like I want to say to Victor, bless your heart, Victor. I mean, it's that's. Oh, he's cute. Uh, he's cute, Victor. So, so cute. Thank God the team has you and, you know, some of your bootlicking friends um, around <laughs> um, because because it's really pathetic, you know. Uh, like somehow we, we made Del Rio start to tweet this last Snyder somehow you know we made Dan Snyder into what he is uh, you know a vi- obviously he's a victim um and Carson Wentz I mean don't question Nick don't question why oh. Philadelphia or Indianapolis got rid of him because they just completely screwed up he's gonna be great hashtag HTTC take command oh, um but anyway God. uh I, you know it is funny because the discussion of the local media being an influence on anything related to kind of the negative parts of this organization. Last week, this past week, earlier this week, the team was feeding the media the information about the Virginia stuff. Let me just make, uh, I want to make everybody like Vic cl- uh, clear on something. Do you know how many times people in local media are try to help the team out? Like, you know, very often it's sort of a quid pro quo. It's like, I'll help you get some information out that you want to get out, but, you know, I want to get something, you know, before it breaks anywhere else at some point down the road. And I'm talking mostly about the beat reporters. But earlier this week, the team fed information to various beat reporters to put out that was wrong. They gave them information that the team had purchased land in Dumfries when in fact they had to call back like 20 minutes later and tell everybody, tell everybody oh shit, we fucked up. It's, it's actually that we have an option to purchase land in Woodbridge. And I, I, I mean, I don't think that, that, that any, I th- well, I think most people understand this. I think people like Vic are so in the tiny fraction of the people that pay attention to this team and the way they feel about it. But it's just, they have never been able to kind of get out of their own way. And it's hard to not, you know, talk about this stuff. And it would be much easier not to have to talk about this stuff if they actually won. But of course, they haven't won. Um, Do you think they're going to win anytime soon? Now moving the conversation to football. I mean, I I honestly do feel relatively positive about the direction of this team overall. But again, you know this, the standards have been so low and the ceiling has been so low that having just a a coach that at least tries to take control of the situation making for me is that you look at this team when they went seven and nine. I think most reasonable people said, uh, winning the division at seven and nine is really not going to help you other than it's going to be a feel good story and maybe a little playoff experience for your young guys. And we saw what happened with the first place schedule and the high expectations they didn't live up to. We know all that last year. But in reality, 
They had a first-place schedule, Kevin, and still won seven games again. I know that sounds pathetic, and it sounds like loser talk to see that as a positive, but, I mean, given the circumstances and given the resume of this organization the last couple of decades, that is a positive. They at least... It turned it around after the bye week. They they want you know. They're one point. They were a 500 team last year, which is again astonishing, and it makes you feel good about that. But you go into this year. I mean, you know the NFC East. Every year could be different. The Cowboys are always the favorites, and as the great Doc Walker has said, uh, they throw up all over themselves on a regular basis. So we know that that's going to be something that all, that always is uh, a possibility there. I know the Eagles have a lot of hype around them, but. Okay, what is Jalen Hurts? Like, we don't know. I can tell you this, doing mostly national stuff now, they're not, they don't really feel that confident in Philadelphia, at least the fans' perspective, about him being somebody that's a, a franchise quarterback for them. So there's certainly questions there. But, you know, the Eagles were aggressive this offseason. A.J. Brown, is a, that's a big, big addition. But receivers are great to have. When you have the assembly line of success working for you, right, offensive line gives quarterback time to throw the ball. That quarterback is a good passing quarterback that can get the ball accurately to his receivers. So, like, there's all these things that still have to work out for that team. The Giants, I, I mean, they've got a new head coach. That's a whole new system. You kind of just look at them as this is an evaluation year for them. Maybe Daniel Jones is motivated. We know he is whenever he plays Washington. He looks like a Pro Bowl quarterback. It's just them. I don't know why. But I, I you just look at this division and say, yeah, they could – win like why not they won it with seven wins a couple of years ago the Cowboys could easily fall back Dak Prescott may not look like the same Dak Prescott that we've seen at its peak because now you don't have Amari Cooper and he obviously was a big benefit to Dak Prescott Zeke Elliott continues to regress they're clearly regretting that contract they gave him so are they gonna be able to run the football the same way does that put more pressure on Dak Prescott does he throw more interceptions all of these things are factors that at least tell you it's the NFC East. They've got a chance to be not only competitive in this division, but yeah, they've got a chance to win it. It may be nine and eight or ten and seven, but it, their, their schedule is a lot better than what it was last year. And you know, you and I talked when the schedule came out. You came on, uh, you know, the show that I was doing, and like the first first few couple of games. I mean, the Jags and Lions are certainly winnable games. I like the Jags to have a much better season this year. I think they're actually going to be one of the sleepers in the NFL because they don't have Urban Meyer. They're ruining everything. But the, the schedule is a lot less daunting for this team, and they don't play a lot of Pro Bowl-caliber quarterbacks this year. Strength of schedule is based more on last season. We know that, but you can get an idea with the teams you're seeing and the, the competition you're going to have when you look at the quarterbacks that you're matched up against this year. And there's, it's not that quarterback gauntlet like they had to start off last season. So a strong start for this team – as opposed to playing from behind and making up for all the losses they had at the beginning of a season that they've really done through the majority of the last couple of decades. If they can have a decent start to this year, and at least just, let's say, Kevin, keep themselves around 500, they've got an opportunity to win this division. It's not out of the realm of possibility at all. Yeah, I, I, I think maybe some that have listened to me here in recent weeks um, have, have probably picked up on the fact that I actually um, – am somewhat optimistic. Look, my, my excitement level um, versus just being optimistic, is it, it's different. I used to be very excited when I was optimistic. It's, it's different now um, because I don't have the same passion level for the team. But the, I, I would say as a football fan and as someone who would benefit by this team being good, like really good, I am definitely – intrigued by what they could be offensively next year 
Like, Wentz is an upgrade. And no matter what I think of Carson Wentz, you know, and the red flags all over this trade, and you're an idiot if you don't think there are red flags on this trade. But if he is the Carson Wentz of just last year with everybody being healthy around him, they could really be a very good offense. Now, not elite, like I think they believe they, you know, inside that building they're going to be. You know, I was told that they think they're going to be a 12 to 13 win offense. I don't know about uh, that. Of course. Um, but I do, I, I am intrigued by what they could be offensively. And look, the defense, you know, is, it can't be worse. Um, and it's got talent, uh, you know, certainly up front. But, you know, no sweat this week, no Chase Young this week. And I'm not getting wrapped up this year into the OTAs. But, you know, if they suck again on defense next year, there's going to be a whole hell of, hell of a lot of rain that comes down on Chase Young if he doesn't have a big year uh, next year. Uh, because he skipped, you know, all three of these first OTA days. So did Montez Sweat. And the expectation level set by the coaches, you know, two months ago was that they they both, you know, everybody was going to be there and Chase Young was going to be there. But anyway, I, I, I feel like there's a chance that offensively they're good enough to be in a lot of games and to win, you know, maybe more games than they are being projected to win. The over-under is seven and a half, eight, whatever it is. Last year, I was definitively on the side of playing the under, which I was right on. Um, this year, I won't play the under on them, I don't think. But, you know, things like this week and, you know, Jack, uh, you know, creating some distractions and people not showing up that the coaching staff thought would show up and, you know, Rivera setting some of these expectation levels and the sensitivity to, you know, all kinds of criticism, including from Twitter trolls. That's the stuff that keeps me from, like, wanting from from jumping on board and saying you know what I'm gonna pick them to win 10 games this year and be a playoff team because I think all that stuff matters but I do think they've got some talent I do now see we said we said some positive things here people like Victor should be very happy I, I think look at that well, this was positive over the last couple of minutes a lot of nice things yeah look I mean some of this has to do with uh, first thing people anybody that still doesn't think that Carson Wentz is an upgraded quarterback. You're lying to yourself. Taylor Heineke is an awesome story, but the fact that that continued to go on of like, well, this guy may be the future. Stop. Stop. He's not the future of this team. He's, they've upgraded at starting quarterback, and they've upgraded a backup, because, and really third string on top of that with Howell, and then you're adding you know, Heineke as a backup quarterback. Now, this is they, they're in a much better position there by adding Carson Wentz. And if you didn't have the clear red flags of this is his third team in three years and the conversation and the rumors about how he was as a leader or being able to be coached or clearly Jim Irsay hating the guy. I mean, the other day Jim Irsay said something about we're so excited to have Matt Ryan's leadership in the building. And I tweeted, like, he's still throwing shade at Carson Wentz and people are like, oh, there's the D.C. media again. trying. I was like, I got that the other day. And I want to be like, I'm not even like DC media as much as I am, man. Like I don't even talk about the team as much as I used to, but you need to understand Jim Irsay hates Carson Wentz. And this was a shot at Carson Wentz, but the leadership stuff and all that aside, because we need to see that, how that comes together with this team. He threw 27 touchdowns and seven interceptions last year, Kevin. And on top of that, he tied the Colts franchise record for the most consecutive games without a turnover. Peyton Manning's record. You would kill for a quarterback with that resume in Washington. So we need to take into account that it is an absolute upgrade there. The problem is, is that good Carson Wentz is good. Bad Carson Wentz 
it's ugly. It's falling down, throwing the ball with his left hand out of the end zone, interception type Carson Wentz that you don't want. And they're probably going to have that at certain points this year. Again, he's in another offense now. Uh, it's new teammates again. So there's just natural growing pains for anybody that's in Carson Wentz's position. Not talent on offense. Uh, they need they need Kirk Samuel to be healthy. I mean, that's really a big thing. I know it's only one name, but the, he was brought in to be sort of a poor man's Debo Samuel in some way, right? Being able to run the football a little bit, run a bunch of end arounds, play you know, make plays out of the slot, go deep with it, like all those types of things. They need that from him this year because he ends up becoming a, essentially another waste of a roster spot this season if he can't stay healthy. Yeah, I mean, I think two things are true in the conversation about Carson Wentz. I think it's this simple. It's like he's an upgrade, obviously. He's got upside, obviously, because we know what he was in 2017. And at the same time, there are red flags all over this trade because two teams, and by the way, two solid organizations, couldn't wait for him to leave the building. This was from Albert Breer's uh, Monday Morning Quarterback uh, mailbag the other day, and I read this to Tommy yesterday because you just mentioned that Ursay took another shot um, at at, uh, Carson Wentz the other day during the league meetings. Breer wrote about the Colts. The difference Matt Ryan has made from a cultural standpoint for the Colts, even to this point, has been palpable. And the pace and detail at which he works should be good for everyone on the roster. Remember the year Phillip Rivers was in Indy was the COVID year, so most of the players on the team don't have much experience working with a quarterback at the level of Rivers and Ryan. He's he's getting this directly from you know Frank Wright, Chris Ballard, Colts players, own in probably Ursay as well. So I'm sure you know you can't you can't ignore all that, but at the same time you can still say. Look, he's a lot better than Taylor Heineke, and his upside's much higher. So let's see what happens. Maybe he'll resurrect his career here. Um, I wanted to switch the conversation with you before we wrap it up to the NBA because you and I are both big NBA fans. I'm going to tell you right now, these playoffs have been horrendous. I really enjoyed watching Uh. Golden State last night. Um, I love just how... You know, last night was the perfect example of, for some of us, the way we like to watch basketball played, the spacing, the passing, um, the 36 assists for uh, Golden State last night versus a team like Dallas where Luka, who I do love, don't get me wrong, and I think he's an extraordinary talent, will dribble the, you know, the air out of the basketball and then try to go through three people um, you know, with a pace that's much slower. I, I'm rooting for Golden State, and I want Golden State to play Boston, but I want to start with this. You love the NBA. You follow and comment on the NBA a lot. I don't have an answer for why all of these blowouts. Do you? Yes, I have actually a theory about this. But first off, I do want to put a little caveat here. The playoffs were great until the conference finals, for the most part. Obviously, you had some blowouts where the Suns got blown out in their Game 7, and that was a disappointment. The Game 7s weren't all what we expected them to be, but we had a lot of really good games earlier in the playoffs. The reason why, to me, that I see these, really all these teams, except really the Warriors, looking uh, slow, uh, worn out, tired, and just not like themselves anymore, Kevin, this is the first time in two years that either that any team has played 82 games in the regular season. You had the COVID year where everything shut down for three months. They go back to the bubble. Plenty of time for everybody to recover. And I still maintain that benefited the Lakers a lot because Anthony Davis and LeBron James were healthy 
Oh, the lights just flickered in my house. Here we go, by the way. The storm is crawling into my area, Kevin. Uh, but, you know, you, this is the first year, and the last year was only 72 games. So you've got all these teams now, like the Heat and the Celtics, that at times just look they, like they play opposite. I've had to use the zigzag method when, you know, if you're betting on games in that series, because the Celtics are a great team in game two after horrible in game one and then game three. It's just weird. The Warriors are the only team that kind of looks relatively prepared for this situation because, well, one, they got fresh legs because the last two years Steph's barely played and then Clay hasn't played at all. And they only played 11 minutes total with Draymond Green uh, as well during the regular season. So, but they, they've been there. They did it since 2015. They've had these long playoff runs. They understand what it's like and they, they're still prepared mentally, physically. Uh, the rest of these organizations just, just aren't. And you're, you're, you're seeing teams that are, tired they don't have legs we're talking about all these injuries between the heat and the celtics game after game after game because guys are just getting beat up this is the first time in two years they've played this but much that basketball doesn't explain so i think it's blowouts. really having an effect but that doesn't explain the one-sided record level of of non-competitive games because it would apply to both teams and the tiredness would have just meant you had a lot of you know 87 85 games we've had you know 30 point leads on the regular every night I mean, people are tuning out of most of these games. Yeah, I mean, you said that you, you, you think it's been the conference finals. I'll be honest with you. The first two games of the Brooklyn-Boston series, the very first two games, and maybe game three back in Brooklyn, the, and it ended up being a four-game sweep, I think those were the two of the three most entertaining games of the postseason so far because they were competitive, they were high-level, and maybe they were fresher to start. But I don't know if that explains the the number of you know double-digit wins in games which aren't really even competitive by the time you get to the fourth quarter. We've just seen those night in and night out. Well, I would say this. You know, you obviously have, yeah, fatigue setting in where you're watching these 30-point games. But at the same time, you also... It just—it feels like teams are taking a night off and then they're fresh the next day, and maybe that's what it is. Where like the Celtics look like an utter disaster, and then all of a sudden they come back and it's like they've learned from that game last time and it's totally changed. But yeah, that's only one theory. I, I it's also just been like bad basketball at times too, and it's interesting because like the ratings were really good for a long time. People were watching these games. The NBA was doing. I mean, they were doing fantastic when it came to viewership. I haven't seen what they've been recently for the conference finals. I can't imagine they're that great because people have been tuning out. But it's just been a roller coaster of a playoffs, and especially the conference finals for these teams. Um, who do you like? I mean, you think Boston's going to close out Miami tonight? Yeah, I had I had Celtics Warriors in the finals before the playoffs started, and I'm sitting on two bet slips right now for both of them to win the title. So I'll be good if either one of if they both make the finals, I'll feel pretty good about that. But yeah, it's look the Warriors. The fact, first off, the Warriors were ten to one to win the title coming into the playoffs, which is insane. Everybody was on the Suns train, and I just sat back and said, okay, watch Golden State, and this is the team that's done this a million times. You people are crazy for not remembering what they do. This is the same team, Kevin that in terms of their core went to the finals for what five straight years now they've added young talent on top of that jordan Poole has become a third splash brother for them draymond green has kind of evolved his game and even less of an offensive guy but focuses on defense and playmaking and then you've been thrown at times 
um, Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga, yeah. and it's like yeah. they're they're built for the future, but they're also built for now. They're an inc- they're the best organization in the NBA. I mean, they are so well run. There's so many smart people running that organization. It's unbelievable. I like Boston. I think Boston's the toughest matchup for them because they do have you know multiple guys that can go out and get you buckets. And they also have random games where Marcus Smart goes off for 24 points or Al Horford hits a bunch of threes and has a double-double. And, you know, Boston can beat you with their big two and then a couple of other guys, depending on the night, kind of rotating through. But they don't, they're not going to beat the Warriors. The Warriors are great defensively, too, like the Celtics. And you know the Warriors can be down by 15 in the second half. And they'll just start running up the court and 30-foot pull-up threes, and they're going to start knocking them down and doing the same thing that the 73-win Warriors did or whatever team did over that little era. They're right back to where they were. And now people are starting to go, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot how good this team was. It's just they just took two years off, and they're back. Yeah, well, and they're in the you know they're in the finals for the sixth time in eight years, and this will be the third time uh, with just the original core of Green, Curry, and Clay Thompson. And by the way, I was so happy that Clay Thompson got off last night because he really looked not confident as a three-point shooter um, in this series. And I think seeing one of them go down last night was huge for him, and he he made eight of them last night. Um, but you know this will be. Uh, a, a Durantless uh, Golden State team, like their first two, um, you know, uh, Western Conference championship teams, um, which says a lot about St- the, the the core, you know, of, of Steph, Draymond, and Clay. Um, are, are, how how are the storms? Because it seems like it's it's getting exciting there. It's uh, th- let me put it this way: this is right up your alley of uh, this is your genre right now, Kevin. So you would be uh, you would be excited. You, that's Goldie's. Yeah, it's dark. That's Goldie's you could, you genre. Could, you could find. <laughs> you could you could curl up in a corner somewhere and just kind of like breathe in the air and get excited. You'd have to watch the whole four hour rule though, because it'd be getting a little exciting for you here. Okay. But you know, it's a it, it's, it's yeah, right but... up your right up your alley, man. It's starting to get there's thunder and the lights are flickering. So it's uh yeah, it's probably what just passed through your area a little while ago. Yeah, it got really dark here, um, and it's probably really dark there. I don't know if dark is necessarily my favorite, but our good friend Al Galdi thrives. With darkness um, and sellers. Uh, so, lastly, I wanted to just mention this to you. So, Michael Phillips wrote this story in the um, uh, in the uh, Richmond Times Dispatch. You know, it's it's another stadium story about the latest, and I'm reading through it. Michael's done a really good job of reporting on this. A lot of people have. I had Eric Flack, the guy from Channel Nine, who's been doing a great job on the radio show this morning. So. If you want to go listen to that, Eric was really good. Um, you can do that on the Odyssey app. Uh, and Neil in Rockville was on very early in the smor- uh, show this morning, and he had some thoughts. But Michael wrote that if you know the Washington Commanders were to move to Virginia, it would be the first pro sports franchise to reside in Virginia uh, it, since – the Virginia Squires. Are you familiar with oh the Virginia gosh. Squires? Do you know who they are? I remember the team. It was an old. It's an old NBA team, but I don't remember anything else about them. That's going back to what, like the fifties, right? Yeah. Well, let's do. Let's do. You know, Tommy story time here. 
um, for just okay, a bit. Okay, let's do Tommy story time. Because <laughs> this is actually really interesting, and some of you who are old enough will remember this if you're basketball fans, but those of you who aren't going to remember this and don't care, I want you to listen anyway because there is um, a conclusion to this story that most people don't know and I think is really, really interesting. So the Virginia Squires were an ABA team back in the early 70s. They played in the Tidewater. They played in Norfolk, Virginia, which is exactly the way it's pronounced by people who are from down uh, <laughs> down there. It's not Norfolk. It's not Norfolk. It's Norfolk. And they played in, in, a, in an arena called the Scope, which was, and it still may be there, I don't know, in downtown Norfolk. But originally, the Squires were the Oakland Oaks of the ABA. Then they became the Washington Caps of the ABA. They played in the old Washington Coliseum Uline Arena, um, which was, by the way, the first venue in which the Beatles played in 1964 when they came over uh, from Liverpool to the U.S. before they went on the Ed Sullivan Show in 1964. Anyway, the Washington Caps were an ABA team that Rick Barry played on, the great Rick Barry played on the Washington Caps. Well, the owner of the Caps, Earl Foreman, was told to move the team because Abe Polin, an NBA owner, wanted to move his Baltimore team to Washington. So he moved the team to the Tidewater area, and they played in the Scope. They also played at Old Dominion. They played some games at the Hampton Coliseum. They played some games at the Richmond Coliseum. Rick Barry, after getting, um, uh, after being on the Washington team and then told they were moving to Virginia was on the cover of Sports Illustrated 1970 in a Virginia Squires uniform um, about the Virginia Squires move in the ABA season. And he hated the state of Virginia saying, get me out of here. I don't want my children growing up saying, hi, y'all. And so, <laughs> and so the owner of the team, Earl Foreman, sold Barry to uh, another team. And then came the draft. And the Virginia Squires were the team that drafted Dr. J out of the University of Massachusetts. That's right. There you go. It's just funny. I was wrong about the era, and I was only slightly right about the sport, but not the right league. But I remember the name. That's... That's uh, I think the scope is still there, but I think like a hockey, there's like a minor league hockey team or something that plays there. Uh, but they do still, I think it does still exist. But yeah, Doctor, that's right. Doctor J was a squire. I he, forgot about he, that. He was drafted by the Virginia Squires in 1971 at a UMass. But here is, for me, the best part of the story, and some of you will find interesting. After Doctor <laughs> J, uh, during his rookie season. Um, in Virginia, playing for the Squires, the Squires signed a young George Iceman Gervin. And George Gervin and Dr. J were teammates on a team, the last professional team that ever played in Virginia, the Virginia Squires, two of the greatest players in the history of the game who are not remembered as Virginia Squires. Gervin is remembered as being the Iceman in San Antonio, one of the greatest scorers that's ever lived. And, and Nick, one of my favorite all-time athletes, 
Okay, the Iceman was everything for me when I was, you know, a kid. And I was out there trying all of the Iceman moves. And I had the the finger rolls, right? All those finger rolls. I had the finger (laughs) rolls, and I had the Iceman poster with him in that silver San Antonio Spurs warm-up suit sitting on a block of ice. Gervin and Dr. J played together in Virginia. If you want to know how they did, they got to the playoffs in their only season together and lost in the first round. But anyway... Uh, Gervin and Dr. J on the same team. And then, of course, Dr. J went on to play for the New York Nets of the ABA and then eventually the 76ers in the NBA. And Gervin was a San Antonio Spur for, I think, the entirety of his career. He may have ended his career in Chicago. I want to say that he played for the Bulls briefly at the end of his NBA uh, career. But um, anyway... uh, Story time with Tom Lavero is over for the day. All right. Uh, that was a great story, Kevin. Thanks for the story. <laughs> At Nick Ashu on Twitter, N I C K A S H O O H. I enjoyed this. I hope you're well. Let's do it again soon. Anytime, my friend. Anytime. Always fun to catch up with Nick. Nick's a great guy. Um, I appreciated that. Up next. Emily Giambalvo from the Washington Post is covering the lacrosse final fours. Uh, We'll have her on when we return right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Memorial Day weekend means the official beginning of the summer. Sports-wise, it always means and has meant for years the Indianapolis 500. And if you're from around here, uh, you also know that it is the weekend in which the lacrosse Final Four is played. Uh, This is an area that is a hotbed for lacrosse, certainly in certain um, areas of the DMV. Uh, The high school lacrosse in this area is equivalent to what the high school basketball is. It produces, you know, so many Division I uh, college players, and Maryland's been a powerhouse in the sport, both on the women's side and the men's side forever, and both are back into the Final Four, and covering it for the Washington Post will be Emily Giambaldi, Volvo, 
Uh, Emily does a great job covering Maryland sports in general, and we may even ask Emily a few uh, men's hoops questions uh, before uh, we are done. But I want to start with this, Emily. The Maryland men are being you know, talked about as maybe the greatest team in the history of of the sport. They're a massive favorite uh, going into their semifinal game against Princeton tomorrow, and then they would play the Rutgers-Cornell winner uh, in the championship game on Memorial Day. Just talk about, you know, I know I've read your story from this morning. Talk about what people in the sport are saying about this team and what a massive surprise it would be if they actually were to lose this weekend. Yeah, it's really interesting. When you hear people talk about this men's team and and I was on a conference call yesterday with the ESPN analysts who are going to call the game on TV and um and it seems like you know it's like if Maryland were to lose it's like it's like that's not really feeling like something that's in the realm of possibility right now which like how often in sports do we really feel that like I, I it's hard to imagine a time where there's been a team that's this much of a favorite and would be this much of a disappointment if they lose. And I know some of the ESPN guys are saying like they were kind of looking outside sport to try to find a comparison because there, there really isn't one in lacrosse and, and what Maryland is chasing is not kind of the other teams in this field. They've been beating everybody by over nine goals a game this year. And it's more of like, where are they going to stand in terms of all time great NCAA lacrosse teams and kind of to be in that conversation they have to finish it this weekend and they've they've lost in the title game quite a few times before and they lost last year but it seems like this year if there's a year where it should feel assured this one yeah in the story you wrote you referenced the fact that the ESPN guys are trying to come up with other you know sport comps for how dominant and how big of a favorite, how massive an upset it would be, you know, if they actually lost this weekend. They won the national championship in 2017 and they had this heartbreaking, you know, final seconds lost last year to Virginia. They beat Virginia in the quarterfinals, doubling them up 18 to 9. Um, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna be following this and writing about this all weekend long. You know, is there any sense that beating Virginia in kind of that revenge game last weekend was the, you know, that anything after that is anticlimactic or not? Maybe a little bit, um, because like we were saying before, like Maryland is so far ahead of the field lacrosse-wise that maybe you start thinking the only thing that could catch them off guard would be kind of that mental piece of it. and. And Virginia has kind of had their number um, in the past in the tournament, and particularly last year in the final. So I, I do think maybe that was a little bit of a mental game. And, and there was conversation where you know people thought Vermont was going to give could give Maryland a bit of a fight. They had come into the tournament as one of the hottest teams. You know they weren't seated, but but were um, you know on a roll lately. And then Maryland just totally crushed them. And then it was basically the same thing with Virginia. So it was kind of these two teams that if Maryland could have drawn a bracket that was kind of tough even if you're one of the greatest teams ever this was it and then the way Maryland played in those games it, it was like oh okay never mind and and then the other you know the number two three and four seeds are out of it so the best seed left is the five seed and and I do think there's a feeling like maybe maybe the toughest challenge is behind Maryland 
What makes them such a great team? I mean, is it the talent? Is it the coaching? Is it experience? You know, in in your um, following this and writing about this, why are they so great this year compared to, you know, almost any team that's played the sport in recent years? Yeah, I I think it's, you know, all those pieces you mentioned, it seems like they have everything, right? So they have John Tillman, who's been around forever, and players know exactly what they're getting into. Um, With him, they totally believe in the culture. They know what they're being recruited for. So so it's like when you have coaches who have been around so long, and the same is true on the Maryland women's side, I think you you know how to get the type of player you want in your program. So so it starts there. It starts with players who are coming to Maryland because they want to win championships. Um, And then you start recruiting some of these great transfers to decide, oh, I've got one year of eligibility left. Where do I want to go? Well, I want to win a national title, so I'll go to Maryland. So it's like you're – you're you're doing what you want in recruiting, and then, um, you know, I'm not a lacrosse expert by any means, but just in listening to people talk about this Maryland team, it seems like just about everywhere on the field they've got some of the best players in the country, and and they're performing well and have had no mental lapses. Like there hasn't really been a game where you look at them and think, oh wow, that was just not a great game for them. They've been playing at a high level all year. They've got a great face-off guy who improved a ton from last year. And then um, offensively, I mean, they've had so many different players score. One of the conversations yesterday on the ESPN call was like, Logan Wisnowskis is their star and, and you know, one of the best players in the country, but he could he could score once or he couldn't score at all, and, and you still think Maryland's going to be okay just because they have so many options. So it's not really a team that has just like one or two standouts. It's really every piece of the field, every piece off the field. Um, it's just kind of like this well-oiled machine that's, now clicking into its best gear this year um, because of the talent. They're 15-0 and trying to become the third team in recent um, vintage to go through a lacrosse season undefeated and win a national championship. They've only trailed in four games this year and only been down once in the second half in a game this year, and that was against Ohio State. Uh, they won that game. They've won seven times by double digits. You mentioned the Vermont game. I think, correct me if I'm gr- wrong, but the 21-5 to win, the 16-goal deficit, it is the largest margin of victory in the history of the NCAA lacrosse tournament, right? Um, so I was actually covering the women that day, not that game. I remember seeing something like that on Twitter, so I think you might be right, but I'm not. Okay. Uh, sure. yeah, here we are, <laughs> two non experts talking about this, but we both realize that there are people in this market that are so interested and will be watching. And look, I'm a Maryland alum, so I've paid attention typically this weekend um, because they're in it almost every year. Um, last one on the men, and then I'll ask you briefly about the women. They beat Princeton earlier in the year. 15 to 10 does anybody give Princeton any chance of keeping this game that competitive because that's a competitive game for Maryland this year you know maybe it may be a little bit and and teams are so quick to say um you know teams change and you know Princeton isn't the same as they were before and neither is Maryland and, and things like that um but again you kind of look at what Maryland doing and it's just it's just not it's not comparable so I I mean I I don't think so um but you know we'll we'll see I I really think for Maryland to slip it it wouldn't be a matter of like you know Princeton having some incredible day it would have to be a 
severe mental lapse on on Maryland's side of like the pressure of the Final Four or something, and I and I just don't see that happening either. And nobody's really giving the winner of the Rutgers Cornell game much of a shot either, right? I mean, but neither one. No. Go ahead. Yeah. No. I mean, it's like it's like the weirdest. Um, it's a weird Final Four for the men because like. With the women, I feel like, you know, you're t- thinking about each team having an edge in some way, and you're like, you're actually thinking about the teams and, and really heading into the men's final four. It feels like it's, um, you know, can Maryland finish the season as the best, one of the best teams ever? Like, right. it, it's like you yeah. kind of feel bad. And, and I think um, most of those, the other teams that are in it have not been to a final four in, you know, 15, 20 years, right. whereas Maryland's there. Most years, and you have to think maybe that um, that helps them too. George, for those of you that don't know, Georgetown was actually the number two overall seed uh, in this uh, lacrosse tournament. Uh, they lost their first game, a 10-9 loss to Delaware. They were eliminated early on. Um, give me, you know, give me a minute or so on the women who are also a powerhouse. Um, and who they're playing and what the, you know, where they are kind of in the expectations for this weekend. Yeah, Maryland, the, the women have been really interesting this year because they, you know, they've been so historically dominant and they went to 11 straight Final Fours and then COVID happened and they were struggling a lot that year before everything shut down um, just because they graduated so many great seniors and then Last year, it was kind of the same deal. They were just really inexperienced, um, and they, they lost in the second round of the tournament. And it's kind of this, you know, total um, outlier. And, and it wasn't that unexpected either. It was just they weren't – they hadn't been playing at the same level they, they usually do. And then they kind of came into this year, and I think maybe there was a little question of, like, okay, is this going to be back to normal Maryland, or are they still kind of – trying to figure this out um, with a with a new team and this weird rebuilding process that's happened during the pandemic. And then um, they lost to James Madison pretty early in the year, and I think that kind of had them, like, drop off the radar a tiny bit in terms of, like, titles. Um, but then they just, like, rolled through the rest. Where it's, you know, they've won the Big Ten regular season and conference tournament, and then they um, have been playing great during the, during the NCAA tournament. So I think, you know, they hadn't been getting a ton of that um, – national title talk because North Carolina had been really good. They're undefeated. Um, but then North Carolina only won by three goals against Stony Brook in, in the last round of the tournament. So I think kind of this week it kind of, it started to feel like, oh, wow, maybe maybe the Maryland women are in contention here. So they play in five hours um, against Boston College and then would play either North Carolina or Northwestern in the final on Sunday if they make it there. All right, last one. Um, where is Maryland basketball in putting together its roster for Kevin Willard's first season next year? Yeah, I mean, it's been moving um, a little slow, but I think they're down to two scholarship spots left and um, really need a big guy, but they're they're recruiting one from Washington State who would be a huge addition. I still, It's hard to know. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of, Last year where, you know, there are a bunch of transfers coming in and you know you're going to have them in your starting lineup. I mean, Maryland, you know, could have three transfers in the starting lineup. It's just hard to tell how how much they're going to match or how good they are. Um, but I think he's done a pretty good job. And he, he's, you know, got a point guard, um, got a leather guard from Georgetown. And I think it's going well. Um, it's just like 
as everyone knows, like the really big name high schoolers and transfers are are still kind of in that NIL game, and and Maryland isn't on that top tier of of offering kids all the money and, and stuff like that. So uh, we'll be really interesting to see how it goes, it goes moving forward. Yeah, they got they got to figure out the NIL thing. I mean, after Wahab transferred, uh, and for those of you that don't know, Kudus Wahab's actually headed back to Georgetown. Um, which, uh, you know, there, there was a moment there at least a couple of weeks ago where I thought he might stay, but he's going back to Georgetown. So you mentioned the bigs. I mean, right now the, the starting five is Jameer Young, the transfer from Charlotte, you know, Hakeem Hart, Dante Scott, probably uh, Reese, probably Julian Juju Reese. And I don't, I don't know who the fifth starter would be if they don't add – somebody here soon I mean you know they they've got the kid Noah Bachelor that they recruited um but I can't figure out you know I, I was expecting Wahab to be probably the fifth starter but who do you have as as the fifth starter right now for them yeah well I mean then the question is like you know is is Reese playing as a four or five right um because like he he kind of learned the five spot primarily next year feels like he would um you know be a good four um because you could with the roster you have now um you know it seems like they would have Reese of the five and then use the other guard that they've recruited but like you're saying I mean to play in the big ten and maybe Julian Reese is you know turns into like Jalen Smith his sophomore year and is like totally capable um but in the Big Ten, it just feels like you want one of those rim protector, yeah. really good fives. So, so yeah, yeah. To answer your question, like I do think they should feel pretty good about four starters, like four of those spots, and then, and then absolutely need to to get a big guy. And, and that's, I mean, they're trying to do it. Uh, they probably will. I mean, because if you're a transfer, you're like, okay, I, I pretty much got a lot of playing time waiting for me at Maryland. So. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and it's like the bench option. Like it's like there there isn't even a solid backup right now. So so very urgent. Um, yeah, it, it is. I, I don't. I, you know, I know that Mark kind of liked Ike Cornish, but thought he was a ways away. Um, I think we saw mm-hmm. Woody and Martinez is he's a, he's an athletic defender, but he's not much of an offensive you know skill position yeah. guy and. Um, yeah, they, you know, I, they, they, they added the kid from IMG, and they've got a couple of kids, as you mentioned, you know, a big out of the state of Washington that they're looking at. He's going to have to bring in probably a couple of more players that can contribute right away if they're going to be competitive next year in the Big Ten. Um, Emily, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, follow Emily on Twitter at Emily G-I-A-M, at Emily G-I-A-M on Twitter. Uh, Thanks for doing this. Enjoy the weekend. Appreciate it. Yep, no problem. Thank you. All right, that's it for the show today. I am back on Tuesday. I'm not planning on doing a show on Memorial Day. Of course, uh, any sort of big event could change that. Uh, But back on Tuesday with Tommy. Uh, Enjoy the weekend. Uh, Do you know what I wanted to know that I didn't know? Who gave you the name Iceman? Fatty Taylor. Went to Virginia and played with the Virginia squad and Fatty Taylor, you know, was like the captain and Dr. J was on that team also and I used to go to work, man, and you know, after we finished, I didn't sweat and he just couldn't believe it, man, I mean, and he always just said, man, wow, man, you, 
you ice cold, man. I mean, you know, they was just getting to know me. I, I'm probably one of the only guys, man, in the history of basketball, man, um, that shot for his contract, you know, because I was playing with the Pontiac Chaparrales, and I was driving 38, and Johnny Red Kerr saw me, and Johnny Red Kerr knew Earl Foreman, and he called Earl Foreman, who was the owner of the Virginia Squires, and he said, you need to take a look at this kid, and they flew me in, and they say, shoot. And shoot. I made 25 out of 33s, and they say, you hired. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.